Welcome to everyone who's joining us today for our live stream. It's just one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email or come down and see us in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to start reading with verse 6 and then read down to the end. This is the last uh, in our series, Stranger Aliens, uh, Living Fruitfully and Faithfully in a Post-Christian Society. Aren't you glad I didn't say that all the time? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, but uh, I'm excited. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak by your Holy Spirit through your word to us today. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, under, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, there's something that strange that happens in our house on a regular, rather regular basis. And I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to confess. But, okay, I, we talk to the television. In fact, we talk to the television quite frequently. Thankfully, the TV has not talked back to us yet. But we do talk to the television. You know, when we're watching a program and we see something that's really ungodly that happens, we go, oh, no, oh, no, we renounce that in the name of Jesus. And at first, I mean, this is the fun thing, Amy. You know, because Amy, at first, she was like, we, we talked to the TV, and she'd have this look of terror on her face. You know, but now after about four years with us, he talks to the TV too. And so we all get talking to the TV. And, uh, and one of the times we really talk to the TV is when we're watching a show. We don't watch a lot of horror films. Uh, we do watch a little bit of science fiction. But even in non-horror films, you know, like murder mysteries and this kind of thing, it's the same kind of dynamic. We'll talk to the film when somebody... You know, the, the killer is in the house, right? And somebody walks into the room 
and they don't turn on the light. Who does that? You know? And so we're like, turn on the light! Turn on the light! Because you know what's going to happen. They're going to get shot or stabbed or something like that. Then the same is true in horror films. I mean, it happens so often. Now it's a cliche. You know, those old slasher films where a bunch of teenagers are together. And you think adults would have more sense. But when a bunch of adults get together, they do the same thing. And so one of the teenagers or one of the adults kind of wanders off from the rest of the group. Now, you know what's going to happen, especially if the teenager has been rude earlier in the program, right? That the teenager is going to get killed. You know, the, the slasher is going to come out and, and do their slashing or, or whatever else happens. Uh, you know, and it's, it's good. you want to say, stay with the group, people. Don't do that. Don't wander off like that. And, and you just can't help but talk to the, the screen when you see these kinds of things unfolding, right? The problem is, over the last 35 years of ministry, I've seen so many Christians do exactly the same kind of thing. I've seen Christians wander into territories where maybe they really shouldn't have been. And I want to say, people, don't look at the darkness. Turn on the light. Turn on Jesus here. You need Jesus. Or, and this happens uh, all the time. I mean, all the time. Where a Christian wanders off by himself or by herself. You know, they get offended by something in the church or offended by something the preacher says or something like that. And so they leave, you know, and they go and they say, oh, I'm just going to watch church on my own. You know, I'm going to do my own, own church. And by the way, churches are always plural. There's no such thing as doing church on your own. And, uh, and they wander off, and I can tell you what will happen. In those situations, I can tell you. I, I wish I could... I wish I could set up a gambling site on this basis because we'd win a lot of money. I can tell you the person is going to have problems in their life. They're not, they're going to lose their Christian vitality. They'll fall into sin or they'll fall into some other issue and they will get isolated. And ultimately what happens is they get picked off by Satan because Satan loves to pick people off. And we know if people would just turn on the light of Jesus and stick together, they would survive. And I think we do this stuff, and it, I mean, it, it really is, it's real life, so it's sad. But it's just as foolish as what you see in a horror film. It's just as foolish as what you see in a science fiction film. It's just as foolish as what you see in a murder mystery. Because the outcome is every bit as assured when people do that. The difference is that we know the TV ain't real. But Christians wandering off and doing this kind of stuff is very real. And the consequences are very real. And I've seen people derail their Christian walk. I've seen people derail their destiny in the Lord. I've seen people de derail their relationships simply because they foolishly walked away and they failed really to turn on the light.
sticking together and turning on the light, that's the key. It's a key for our survival as Christians. That's the key. As strange aliens in this world, if we don't stick together and turn on the light, we're going to have problems. And Peter in this passage today, along with this, and I think Peter would agree, based on what we've read here in 1 Peter, he would agree in these strategies. In the passage today, I think he would add one other that goes along with these. Sticking together and turning on the light. And the third strategy is to stand firm. Peter says, stand firm in it. But we need to know what it is because there's a lot of it's that are out there, some of which you don't want to stand firm in. But Peter, Peter says, stand firm. And I think Peter in this passage is telling us effectively, stand firm in three things. Stand firm in three things. First of all, Peter says for us, stand firm in your faith. That's the first thing. Stand firm in your faith. In your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to stand firm. And it's so essential. I mean, the whole idea of standing firm, again, it's so important for us. It's so important for us. Stand firm in your faith. Now, what does it mean to stand firm in your faith? Well, Peter tells us some things here. He doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us something. First of all, Peter is telling us that we need to humble ourselves before God and wait for his timing and his exaltation. Humble yourself before God and wait for his timing and his exaltation. You know, most of us behave like we know everything. We all have a cognitive bias to do that, by the way. It's the only reason that we survive. You know, because we think that we know when we get behind the wheel of a car. We think we know how to drive. If it's raining, we think we know how to drive in the rain. Otherwise, you wouldn't get behind the wheel of the car in the rain, right? The problem is we don't know as much as we think we know. And sometimes we get into massive accidents because of that. And so humility is saying, you know, Lord, I don't know what I need to know. I don't know as much as I think I know. And I need to humble myself before you and listen to your voice and do what you tell me to do. And that means to wait for God's timing. The problem is God doesn't do things as quickly as we want him to. You know, I've seen this with married couples all the time. You know, the husband's having a problem with the wife. The wife has a problem with the husband. And it's like, oh God, oh God, oh God, please correct my wife. Please fix my husband. Oh God, we're crying out, right? And you can do that for a minute or two. But then it's like, okay, God, if you're not going to answer, I'm going to work here. And then we try to deal with the situation and we make it worse. Because we're not waiting for God's timing. And God will take a long time to do something. In part, sometimes it's to test your humility. Are you going to wait for him? Are you going to keep praying and let God deal with it? Or are you going to try to do it yourself and make it worse? And as long as you refuse to wait for his timing, it's like, well, God's not answering, so i got to do this. Well, no, why God's not answering is because you're trying to do it. So stop trying. And we got to wait for his timing and his exaltation. And that's really frustrating. 
That's really, really frustrating. I've been a part of a number of ministries over my life, over my lifetime, over my ministry, a number outside City Temple. And I can look at a lot of these ministries and say, well, you know, Karen and I influenced them. Or they have this teaching because we first taught it. And there's a lot of that. I mean, a lot of it. But you know what? We never get credit for it. And you know what makes it worse? I remember one time a good friend of mine who's leading another ministry that we're a part of, something that we led him into, he was up and giving a talk, and he, he shared what we had shared, but he credited the wrong person. And you want to say, wait, that was me. You know, that wasn't the other person, but you can't. Because it's the Lord's job to exalt you, not yours. And so you humble yourself. And you wait for his exaltation. And you wait for his timing. You have to do God's things in God's way. You can't do God's things in your way. And you can't do your things in God's way. You got to do God's things in God's way. And you cannot exalt yourself because that's what the world is urging you to do. The world says build your brand. The world says get it out there. The world says become an influencer. I don't want to be influenced by somebody I don't trust. And I don't want to be influenced by, by somebody who's just set out that their life goal is to be an influencer. That's scary. But that's what the world says. And that's not what God says. So standing firm in your faith means you humble yourself. Standing firm in your faith also means that you cast all your anxieties onto God. Now, anxieties and fears are different. Fear is when there's a legitimate fear object that's right before you. So if a sudden uh, a king cobra popped up here in the middle of the aisle and was looking at me with those fangs uh, aglare and about to strike, I would have a certain degree of fear. And it would be a healthy fear. It would be a healthy fear. You know, I might say, well, Andre's bigger, go for him. I don't know, you know, whatever it was, right? But an anxiety is a concern about something uncertain that's gotten a bit out of control. You know, we all have concerns about things that are uncertain. That's normal. But anxiety is where it goes further. How do you get rid of an anxiety? You cast it onto the Lord. You give it to God. You don't try to fix it yourself. You don't try to work it out yourself. You give it to the Lord because the Lord cares for you. And here's the thing. Do you have faith that God cares for you? If you allow yourself to wallow in anxiety, you do not. I have faith that God cares for me. Now, I'll feel anxious. Everybody will feel anxious. But when I feel anxious, I say, Lord, I give this anxiety to you because you care for me. I don't know the future, but you do. I don't know my situation, but you do. And I know that you who began a good work in me will be faithful to bring it to completion. And then to stand firm in our faith, we need to be sober-minded and be watchful, Peter said. Sober-minded means that we need to be self-controlled and clear-headed. If you're anxious, you cannot be self-controlled or clear-headed. In fact, to the degree that you're carrying anxiety, to that degree, your head is confused. 
You just don't realize it. You just don't realize it. You don't see the truth. And being watchful is just being alert and vigilant. You got to be alert all the time. And why? Why? Because there's a devil. There's a very real adversary. And Peter says, if you're going to stand firm in your faith, you got to re resist your adversary, the devil. You resist him. You stand firm and say, okay, devil, you're not going to push me off. That's why I like the first song that we sang, I Live for Jesus. I wrote it, you know, I'm not going to let Satan make me into his clown. I'm going to stand firm. Not that I'm bigger than he is, but God's bigger than me. God's bigger than him. God's bigger than everything. And so I can stand firm. The devil is there, and the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, why do lions roar? Lions roar to create fear in animals, to get the animals to stop or to run the wrong way so that the lion can come and pounce and consume. In other words, the lion wants to get the animal to wander off by itself. That's when it's vulnerable. You know, if we're standing together in faith, we are not vulnerable to the devil. It's only when we wander off and forget to turn on the light that we have a problem. So we have to resist the adversary, the devil, because his goal is to cause fear, to separate us, and to eat us. To have us for breakfast. And so resisting the devil requires that we be firm in our faith. And it's really interesting. You go to Ephesians 6, the great passage on spiritual warfare, powers, principalities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're wrestling against these things. And what does Paul say? You know, he doesn't say, cast out Satan. He doesn't say, uh, speak to the devil. He doesn't say, do this or that. He just says, stand firm. You stand. And you'll prevail. The one who stands firm in their faith is the one who will win. And we have to remember, Peter says here, to stand firm in our faith. We've got to remember that what we're going through is no different than what anybody else is going through as a Christian. All around the world, people have to stand firm. All around the world, people are facing the devil and the demons and things. Our experience is not unusual. And being attacked and feeling anxiety is not a sign of failure. It is not a badge of honor. I remember I was part of a ministry and they would have a, a great night of ministry and then the next day uh, people would get together and oh man I was really slammed with by Satan last night I was dealing with this or that uh, I was woke up in the middle of the night and it was like oh wow aren't we great you know that all this has happened to us yell at them and say, come on turn on the light stand firm don't let the devil walk all over you that's the big thing Peter says stand firm in your faith but then he also says to us stand firm in your calling stand firm in your calling here's the problem we really get too hung up on the idea of calling I have I mean, you know people I've seen people, you know, are 60 years old. Oh, God, give me my calling. I want to know my calling. I want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I'm like, what did you do the last 60 years? You know, 
And, and I, I talk to young people all the time. Oh, I got to have a sense of calling before I do this. I got to have a sense of calling before I step out. I need calling, calling, calling. And, and we really get hung up on it. And it's like we want God to come and give us some crystal clear, this is what I want you to do. Now do it. But let me tell you, historically, you look at this in the Bible, and this is true throughout history, clarity predicts adversity. The clearer the sense of what God has just told you to do, the more adversity you're going to face in doing it. So frankly, you don't want God to be that clear. I guarantee you, I've been through it in my life. You don't want God to be that clear. I should have been aware when God was telling me to come to London and was giving me real clear, clear words and giving words to other people that that was going to hurt because it does. Don't get hung up on this idea of calling. In fact, in Christ Jesus, we have a lot more freedom than we realize. There's a lot of freedom. Jesus says, just do good. Just do what's in front of you. Who are you? What are your gifts? What are your abilities? What are your talents? Know who you are, and then know where you are. I mean, right now, uh, I cannot do any good other than pray for people in Myanmar. My calling is simply to pray for Myanmar. And I'm going to pray until uh, democracy is restored in that nation. But I'm not called to be there. And so I could be thinking, oh, i got a plan to go to Myanmar, but that's not where God's put me right now. I need to do what God wants me to do where I am. How do I know? Just live for Jesus and he'll show you. And then your sense of what you need to do will emerge out of that. And there's a whole lot of freedom that the Lord gives you. So just get out and start doing it. Live your life and see where the Lord takes you step by step. Just follow him and be in obedience to him. And understand that your personal responsibility is more important than your personal calling. You need to take responsibility for yourself. You need to be mature in the Lord. That's important. Don't blame other people. You don't want to get to be 60, 70 years old and say, oh God, I wanted to serve you, but my parents did this, and, and, my, and my teachers did this, and my workplace did this, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. You know, that's not a person who's prevented walking in their calling. That's someone who simply didn't obey the Lord where they were. Take responsibility for yourself. Nobody can keep you from being the Christian God wants you to be. Nobody can keep you from having the character God wants you to have. Take responsibility for it and move forward in it. You know, the, Peter tells us what our calling is here. It's the calling we all have. Peter tells us that God has called us as strange aliens, as resident aliens, as sojourners in this world, he has called us to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. That's our calling, to his eternal glory in Christ, and nobody can take that away from you. There's no person, there's no parent, there's no child, there's no spouse, there's no boss, there's no government, 
There's no nation that can take that away from you. Your calling is to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, and God will make sure that you get there. He will make sure that you get to that eternal glory. And because we're called to eternal glory, Peter tells us that God is personally going to work with you. God is personally going to work with each of us to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Restore us means he's going to mend us. He'll fix us. He'll heal us so that we can do what we need to do. Confirm means that he's going to set us in place and support us. He is with us, and he will keep being with us. Strengthen means exactly what it says. He's going to make us strong and capable. You know, God is making you capable of raising your children. God has made you capable of being a good uh, worker in your office. God is making you capable of being a good a business owner. God is doing that to you and in you and will continue to do that because you're called to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. And God is going to establish you. God is the one who provides the secure foundation for you. And I've learned, if God doesn't want you moved, nobody is going to move you. Nobody's going to move you. But we need to celebrate God's sovereign rulership, how he's going to work in our lives and stand firm in this calling to our God's eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And then Peter says, tells us here, stand firm in the true grace of God. We're to stand firm in the true grace of God. A grace, it's God's undeserved favor exhibited supremely through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. God just gives it. He gives it to us freely through Jesus Christ. God is the source of all grace, and Jesus is the locus or the location of all grace. So it all comes from God, and it all is in and through Jesus Christ. So if we are in Jesus by faith, we are in God's grace as well. Those in Christ have God's grace. And that's how we can stand firm in it. Because it's been given to us. We are saved by grace through faith. And that faith then leads us to life. It's the grace of life that Peter talks about in this letter. And everything that we have is a gift of grace. Every relationship we have is a gift of grace. You know, the fact that you guys are sitting here listening to me and people are listening to me online or on Zoom is a grace. You are giving grace to me. You don't have to do it. I can't make you do it. I like it when you do it. You know, you could be doing flip-flops or backflips or something like that, but you don't. You listen. That's grace. And it's a gift. And I never want to take advantage of that gift. Because you give me that grace, then I give you the grace of trying to prepare and share as the Lord leads. Every relationship is a gift of grace. Everything we have, everything we give, everything we receive comes by grace. Comes by grace. The way we serve is a grace that we give to other people. It's what Peter told us 
in chapter 4. Everything good in our lives comes by grace. And that's why we have to stand firm in this true grace. Because you can't think you need to earn it. You can't think you deserve it. Otherwise, you step out of grace. In fact, we have to beware of false grace and unsanctified mercy. We must beware of these. False grace is thinking that somehow I deserve grace. That if I do this, God will give me more grace. That's not the key. God just gives grace. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who God is. And if you try to earn grace or think you deserve grace from other people, you know, like if I came before you and say, well, you know, I'm the minister of this church. You need to give me grace. You must give me grace by listening to what I say. If I did that, I have just abused your grace because I've demanded it. And grace demanded is not grace. You get this. It's so important. Our unsanctified mercy. Unsanctified mercy is being merciful in ways that God is not merciful. There's a lot of churches that are trying to endorse things, even bishops that are endorsing things, that we know are not right. They're not according to the word of God. And so if you start saying, well, that's okay. God doesn't really mind that, you know, you do this, even though it says clearly in the Bible that he does, that's unsanctified mercy. It's unholy. And it's a violation of God's grace. We have to beware of that. And Peter's reminding us here too, that we have to stand together in the grace of God. The grace that we have is not personal grace, it's corporate grace that applies to us personally. The grace is always about us together. That's a clear message of Peter throughout this. If we don't stand together, we shall certainly fall separately. We must do that. We stand together because grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our failures. And grace is the basis, basis of all our relationships together as Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. So we stand firm in faith. We stand firm in our calling. And we stand firm in grace. And we do all of these things together. And we have to do it because we really are strange aliens in this world. People who are not Christians, they look at us and say, you guys are weird. We just don't understand. And they'll try to explain it. Oh, you're happy clappy uh, or you're the frozen chosen or whatever they want to do. Uh, they'll come up with some kind of label. Uh, and labeling people is trying to help people understand. That's how we got the name Christians, by the way. You know, the early, the early non-Christians couldn't understand what, they, what they, these people were following Jesus. So they said, okay, well, you're like little Jesuses, little Christians, little Christ. So we'll call you Christians. And that's what they did. So we're strange aliens together. And we are surrounded by a hostile world with very real spiritual enemies. The people are not our enemy. It's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are our enemy. And we are living in a post-Christian society where the value of Christianity is becoming less and less and less 
and less. It's happening very rapidly in the United States. Much slow, more slowly here, but it's been happening here for much longer. Yet, sometimes, many Christians still think that we're living in a Christian society. That if we just be Christian enough, people will see it and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian too. And I've seen too many Christian casualties in this post-Christian society, in this hostile world. I've seen too many Christian casualties. People who have just walked away this some of God's plan and purpose for their lives because they failed to stay together, they failed to turn on the light, and they failed to stand firm together. And really at the end, this is the key. If you want to be fruitful and you want to be faithful in the world that we're living in right now, if you want to make a difference for Jesus, far beyond what you can ask or imagine. If you want your life to be different, you want the lives of the people around you to be different, your business to be different, your school to be different, your relationships to be different, this is the key. Stay together. Turn on the light. And stand firm. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. And we'll get through this. And not only will we get through it, we will be fruitful and faithful to the glory of God in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Peter and the letter that he wrote to us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak the whole thing into our hearts yet again. Help us to go deeper in understanding. And Lord, together as Chelsea Community Church, as City Temple, as the two churches together, let us stand together. Let us turn on the light of Jesus and let us stand firm in faith, in our calling, and in the true grace of God. Because we want all the glory and honor to go to Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's join in worshiping the Lord.